foundation. Amen. We're going to get into his word here today. So good to see each and every one of you. Thank you for being at church this morning. God bless you, each and every one of you. Trixie, praying for you. Carol, we're going to be praying for you, believing God that God's going to do a work in your life. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn to the book of Jeremiah this morning. I want to just, I want to try to encourage you today. I just, that's my desire. Amen. I believe that's God's desire to encourage someone. We're going to turn to the book of Jeremiah chapter 18. Amen. I hope you can make it tonight, this evening, grab a blanket, a hoodie, and uh, we're going to, we're going to have some good fellowship this evening. I've enjoyed our time together. Amen. This past September, I think we'll have to start doing this every year. And so, amen. The word of the Lord. He came to Jeremiah. How many know it's a good thing? When God's word comes, when he speaks, well, it spoke to Jeremiah and he said this. He says, uh, he says, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will cause you to hear my words. Verse three, he goes on and he says, then I went down to the potter's house and there he was, the potter making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay, get this, was marred in the hand of the potter. And so he made it again. Everyone say again. Into another vessel. And it seemed good to the potter to make. And then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do this With you as this potter, says the Lord. Look as the clay is in the potter's hand, and so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. I want to take your attention to one more portion of Scripture in the book of Psalms, chapter 138, and verse 7. The Bible simply says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble. Anyone ever? been there before. Trouble in my body, trouble in my life, trouble in my family, trouble. Yet you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your hand will save me. And so if you will, for just the next few moments, I want to just minister, encourage, I pray God will by His Spirit speaking to your life on this simple subject, why God won't let go. I said we have a God that won't let go. Come on, people may let go. Employers may let go. Come on, institutions may let go. But how many know we serve a God? Come on, He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never first. Come on, somebody. You may be marred. You may be broken. You may be imperfect, but I'll never let go. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercies. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that your mercies are new every morning. We pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would just strengthen someone's faith today to remind us and encourage us, to give us a fresh revelation. Oh, Jesus, that you won't let go. 
come on, if we'll just keep on keeping on, if we'll just keep on believing, if we'll just keep on trusting, if we'll just keep on coming, if we'll just keep on being faithful, you will never let go. We thank you for it. We ask it today in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. I feel the presence of the Lord. Would you just put your hands together? Amen. You may be seated. Amen, amen, amen. <clears throat> Why God won't let go. Amen. It's this title of this message today, this text that we've read, both texts in particular, that draw a lot of attention, amen, to <clears throat> the hand of God. And it's interesting that in this current season, this pandemic season in which we live, there's a lot of attention that has been drawn, focused on, on our hands as, as these surges of this COVID begins to spread throughout other parts of the country. Hand washing over the past several months has become exceedingly important. It's always been important, but it seems more than ever it's become an emphasis of our culture. A lot of attention has been paid to the, uh, to the care and the condition of our hands. And I've, I've just learned over time, having worked in the, the uh, janitorial sanitation industry, that there is, there's a lot of significance that comes with the condition of a person's hands. You can oftentimes tell a lot about a person by their hands. As the father of three boys, we are well acquainted with the reality that hands have a way of getting dirty. Amen that you go out, spend a little bit of time catching frogs and catching snakes and catching turtles and getting in the water, that sometimes little boys' hands, hands in general, have a way of, of, of getting dirty. Can I get a witness? I mean, how many, I never knew there was so much space underneath fingernails until three little boys get out and start catching toads and frogs and snakes. And so there's, there's a lot of significance to hands, hands of a way of getting dirty. Sometimes, oftentimes, our hands, uh, our jobs, our occupations can, can have a very significant role in the condition of our hands. A lot of significance is paid in our economy uh, to, to the condition of our hands. In fact, about $12.9 billion a year is spent and dedicated towards hand care. Gloves are purchased to protect our hands from grease and from grime. Creams and lotions are purchased to repair our hands from getting cracked and irritated. There's a lot of time, attention, and money budgets spent on the condition of our hands. I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but there is currently a global crisis uh, or shortage globally for hand care products for personal protection equipment, gloves, nitrile gloves, vinyl gloves, latex gloves. In some particular industries you're looking at, up to a year before certain orders of gloves can get fulfilled because of shortages and supply chain issues over in China, the raw materials having a difficult time getting sourced because of the increase of demand. But more than just the attention we pay to the items we use to protect our hands, there's, there's something to be said about just, uh, just the strength of a hand, not just the cleanliness of a hand, but the strength 
of our hands are significant. As a, as a man, I recognize this. I remember as a young man, my dad getting fed up with me one day, and uh, he was getting on to me because I wasn't looking adults in the eyes when, when, when I was speaking and I was mumbling. He would accuse me of mumbling. And uh, I remember on one occasion, he, got, he pulled me aside in the way he, he did, and he, he just took about 10 minutes to try to teach me how to give a firm handshake. He was, he was upset with me for having flimsy handshakes, and so he pulled me aside, and he gave me a, showed me how to give a good, firm, stiff handshake. Amen. How many know that sometimes you can tell a lot about a person by just even the, a handshake? And, and so it's not just about having strong hands, although that's, that's a good thing, that's a good quality, but there's also a very important quality about just the gentleness of a hand. How many know that there's nothing like just the loving, tender touch of a mother? Amen. When you're sick as a child and you come into your mom's room and you just, you just look for that wet cloth on your forehead and just the gentle touch of your mom to, to rub your shoulders or to rub your back or the gentle touch of a mom to, to, to hold your hand when you're tired. There's just something about the touch of a hand. We can tell a lot about people's lives, their occupations by their hands. I've noticed some of the folks here in this church, just the various occupations. We have people here that work in concrete, and I've noticed that sometimes just the, the wear and tear of working with that concrete, that their hands can become rough and dry and cracked. I know we have some carpenters in the house today, and, and I know that just from experience working with just wood and working in carpentry, that sometimes a carpenter's hands can become scarred and scabbed from from uh, just the, the rough wood or for just the tools. We know that doctors oftentimes are notorious. In fact, if you look in the Urban Dictionary, there is a phrase, doctor's hand. It simply references cold hands. How many know that doctors, for, for whatever reason, just seem to have the coldest hands in the world? Mechanics oftentimes, just from the nature of their work, they tend to get oily and greasy hands. There's a phrase in our vernacular that would refer to being involved in something called just being hands-on. I remember one time when I was, we had first got married, I was working in the financial services industry. Just hang with me. I'm going somewhere, I, I promise. I was working in the financial services industry and the economy collapsed in 2008, 2009 and and uh, I got washed out of that economy, and I had to just kind of scramble to find a job. And the first job I could find was a friend of mine that had started this business where he would go around, we would go around, and we would, uh, we would measure people's feet for diabetic equipment. And it was by far the worst job I've ever had. I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy. And I remember on a few occasions they would get these lists. I'm not sure how legal it all was. But they would get a hold of these lists, and we would go around, and uh, we would literally knock on people's doors. Some would have appointments. We would go in, and we would take these foam insert, these foam boxes, these boxes with these foam inserts, and you'd have to ap apply pressure to these people's feet to get an imprint of their shoes. And I remember when we were training on one occasion. Uh, I can't remember. I didn't have gloves or something. The person that was doing it, training me, didn't have gloves, and I was reluctant to to actually to do what I was supposed to do. And that person just took my hand and applied the pressure and told me to just, just do it, just, just get it done, just make it happen. And I, I learned something that sometimes, it, whether I thought they were crazy or not, that sometimes people with experience 
are not reluctant to get their hands a little dirty. Amen? Amen. Sometimes people that have some experience, sometimes people that are used to doing dirty jobs, used to getting their hands involved, sometimes people have become accustomed to getting their hands dirty. There's something that is revealing about the condition of a person's hands. And if you can agree with me this morning that what gets on our hands is often a very significant indicator about a person. What is so ironic this morning is the truth that the scriptures in which we read would indicate that we serve a God that is not afraid to get his hands a little dirty. Amen. In fact, we serve a God that is constantly getting his hands into some dirty, some imperfect, some grimy situations. As we read throughout the scripture, we find that we have a God who has some experience on getting his hands on some situations. In the book of Matthew chapter 8, we find that on one occasion a leper had come to Jesus to worship him. And he says to Jesus, Lord, if thou wilt, canst thou make me clean? And Jesus, seeing this leper, had compassion on him. Now you've got to understand that in this day and age, leprosy was considered a curse. It was considered a reproach. Leprosy and people with leprosy, they were ostracized. They were isolated. They were considered untouchable, undesired, unwanted, forgotten. It was a disease that was incurable and highly contagious. It would cause the skin in the hands and in the face to begin to discolor and then ultimately to deteriorate. And as a result, nobody wanted to touch a leopard. But Jesus on this occasion, seeing this leopard and recognizing his faith to be healed, the Bible says that Jesus stretched forth his hand and touched this saying, this man saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately, the leprosy of this man was cleansed because we have a God that's willing to reach out and touch an imperfect and an ugly situation. On another occasion in Luke chapter 7, we find a story of Jesus passing through a town by the, name, by the name of Nain. And he was passing through the city Nain and there was a large crowd there and, and there was a funeral procession passing through and Jesus and his disciples just began watching this funeral procession and all of a sudden he sees a woman weeping and wailing. And he begins to approach and he recognizes that this woman was weeping and wailing because her son had died. And Jesus walks up to this woman in the book of Luke chapter 7 and the scripture says that he had compassion on her and he says to her, do not weep. And then the Bible says that Jesus actually reached forth his hand and touched the casket of that dead child and said to that son, son, sit up and be thou alive. And so the Bible says that when he did that the son came back to life because Jesus has a habit of getting his hand on some dead and some dying situations. I want to just preach to somebody today to tell you that no matter where you are in your life and no matter what you may have experienced up until this season of life, you may feel like that leper that is isolated and alone, that has a disease that no one wants to touch because you feel as though you've been contaminated. Or you may be like this child. You feel like your faith has been lost. You feel like your life is nothing but lost and left in a casket to be buried. You, you've lost your, your strength. You've lost your encouragement. Your, your 
your faith in God has died. But I've come to just preach to somebody today to tell you not so fast. Because we have a God in the house today that's willing to stretch forth His hand and to bring some dead things back to life. To touch some ugly things. To touch some 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 mauled things and some, some manipulated. I want to just tell somebody that we serve a God. It's not willing to let go. And so we draw our attention to these stories, this text that I've read for you this morning. And we, we find that Jeremiah was sent by the word of the Lord down to the potter's house. Now in order to understand the significance of this particular text, I have to just provide a little bit of context here. You see, Jeremiah was living in a day where the nation of Israel had fallen away from God. We're all probably familiar with the first three kings of Israel. There were Saul, and then there was David, and then there was David's son Solomon. And, and we're, record, we, we, we're familiar with Saul being the first king of Israel, David being that great king, and Solomon being the wise king that experienced so much prosperity and so much unity in the nation. But what we probably aren't as familiar with is that just one generation after Solomon, his son, Reboham, took over the nation of Israel. And because of the success and the favor and the wealth and the prosperity that Solomon had experienced during his reign, Reboham came in and just within one generation assumed that things were just going to keep on rolling, but found that, that even just within a simple generation, that a nation's devotion and consecration to God can be lost. And so the Bible tells us that because Reboham was not listening to godly counsel, that he began to set in place a very harsh policy with the northern tribes of Israel, ten tribes. And as a result, these ten tribes of Israel began to secede from the nation of Israel, forming their own nation called Israel. And they, they set their capital up in Samaria. They had separated themselves from, from Jerusalem and the other two tribes that had been left and remaining, which were now referred to as the nation of Judah with its capital in Jerusalem. And now, for the first time ever, we have two separate nations Israel and Judah. There was the northern king, kingdom, Israel. It was led by a succession of ten kings. And the Bible says that each one of these kings were exceedingly more wicked than their predecessors. And they began to follow after the things that were unpleasing to God. And ultimately leading the nation of Israel and the people of God into greater and greater wickedness. Causing every person in these northern tribes to go after and to do to do their own thing, to walk in wickedness until finally the Bible says that God became fed up with these northern tribes, this northern nation. And in 730 B.C., the Bible says that God allowed the Assyrian armies to come into the nation of Israel to invade that nation and to ultimately conquer God's people. There was at the same time the southern kingdom, Judah. And because they were ruled by the bloodline of David, and the kings on the throne of Judah were from the line and the lineage of David. And because of God's favor for David and the promises to David, the Bible says that the calamity that happened to Israel was, was held off of the, of the kingdom of Judah at first. 
But you fast forward about 200 years and the Bible tells us that these same winds that began to blow through these winds of rebellion that blew through the nation of Israel some 200 years earlier began to also now blow through this kingdom of Judah. And the Bible tells us that Judah began to stray away from the Lord as well. And so God in an effort to spare Judah from the same calamity that had come upon their northern kingdom Israel, began to send prophets into Judah. And he began to try to warn Judah. And so on one occasion, he sent a man by the name of Jeremiah. And it was Jeremiah that came to preach and to prophesy to a wavering southern kingdom who was on the brink of destruction. And you have to understand that because of the spiritual condition of Judah in those days the preaching and the prophesying of Jeremiah was not well received. Jeremiah didn't come to preach some soft comforting message, some soft puffy message that everything was going to be okay. And even though there were preachers in his day, contemporaries that we read about in the book of Jeremiah, Hananiah, Zedekiah, and Ahab who were preaching comfort and who were preaching convenience and who were preaching that everything was going to be okay, that Jeremiah came with a different message. Jeremiah came saying that the Lord is not pleased with the nation of Judah, that you've got to repent from your sins and you've got to return back to God. And he tried to preach and He tried to prophesy. He tried to call the nation of Israel back to a place of consecration and commitment to God. But Jeremiah's preaching was met with great resistance. In fact, if you read your Bible, you find that the preaching of Jeremiah was largely ignored and that the people of Israel made several accusations against Jeremiah. And one of the prevailing accusations that we read about in the Word of the Lord is that the preaching of Jeremiah was hopeless. They said, you're preaching this righteousness, you're preaching this message of holiness. You're preaching this message of consecration and what we're experiencing is a sense of hopelessness. We don't want to hear your preaching. We don't want to hear your calls for repentance. We don't want to hear your calls of consecration because it's leaving us feeling hopeless. You see, they had been sinning for so long and they had been messing up for so long and they had been falling short of the will of God so often and so many times that they had actually gotten to a place where they no longer believed that it was even possible for them to change. They no longer believed that it was even possible for them to live according to the Scripture. And because they no longer had any hope in themselves, they no longer had any hope for change, the Bible says that they had rejected Rejected the preaching of Jeremiah. And so the Lord speaks to Jeremiah. When he realized that his people were feeling hopeless. And he says, I want you to go down to the potter's house. Because I want to show you something. But you see, I want to just stop right here and tell you. That the nation of Israel was experiencing something that God's people are still experiencing today. You see, the devil would like no more than to get God's people to a place where he can convince you that because you've messed up, because you've fallen short, because you've failed so many times, that a change is no longer possible for you. 
And when you get to a place where you find yourself in a sinful cycle of repeating those things, those patterns of sin that cause destruction and disappointment in your life, the enemy will come along beside you and will begin whispering in your ear to tell you that you're hopeless, that you have no hope, that God doesn't care about you, that God doesn't love you, that God has forgotten about you. And so you'll get to a place where no longer you're believing for change, but instead you're feeling hopeless. Instead of trying to change, you've just simply learned to cope. Instead of trying to seek deliverance, you've simply just allowed yourself to try to manage your sin. Instead of confessing your sin before a merciful God, you've instead decided to just try to cover your sin. And the enemy tells you, look how many times you failed. Look how many times you've come to the altar. Look how many times you've cried out to God. But I've come to tell somebody today that the hand of God will never let go of his people because God is a patient God for those who will be persistent despite the circumstances in your life. I want to tell you we serve a patient God. I've just come today to deliver a little message to a spirit of hopelessness to tell somebody in this house today it doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter how many times you've messed up. It doesn't matter how marred you may feel in the hands of the potter because we serve a God that is patient. We serve a God that is merciful. We serve a God that says I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Oh come on somebody how many know that it's through the mercies of the Lord that we're not consumed because his compassion fails not they are new every single morning great is his faithfulness I want to tell you today that God won't let go because he has patience brother Dan for those who are willing to be persistent and so God speaks to this prophet by the name of Jeremiah. And he says, I I recognize that there's hopelessness in Judah. And I want you to go down to the potter's house because there's something there that I want to show you. So the Bible says that Jeremiah heads down to this potter's house. And there he approaches this potter's house and he peeks in the window and he begins to see this potter. And he's got a piece of clay on the wheel, the Bible says. The Bible says he's forming, he's shaping, he's molding this clay. He's building this clay, he's pressing this clay, he's pulling on this clay, he's working with this clay, and he begins forming something out of this lifeless, formless piece of clay. The Bible says that as this potter is working on this clay that all of the sudden Jeremiah notices something that this clay had become marred in the hands of this potter. He finds that this piece of work, this piece of art, this pottery that he had been constructing, that he had been working on and working with had all of the sudden demonstrated a flaw. That there were some imperfections in this pottery. There was some imperfections in this piece of clay. It was here that the Bible says that God begins to speak to Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 4, and the scripture says that the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. And so he made it again into another vessel 
as it seemed good to the potter to make. The Bible says he made it again. Now I want to tell you today that I'm no Hebrew scholar, I'm no Greek scholar, but as I began looking into this, I began to realize this word again just began jumping out at me on the page. It began leaping out at me that as this potter was working on this clay, he began to realize that there was something marred and there was something imperfect about this particular piece of pottery that he was working on. It was here that this potter had a decision to make and he could either scrap this piece of clay or he could decide to keep on working with this piece of clay. And this word again would even indicate to that very point. This word again would indicate two potential paths, two opportunities, two choices that this potter had. That he could either replace this piece of clay that he had been working with in the palm of his hand, he could cast it aside, he could throw it out, he could disregard it, he could get rid of it, he could set it aside and forget about it, having seen the marred, having seen the imperfection, having seen the flaws, and would have been, it might have been easier for him to just take it and to throw it aside, never to work with it again. But you see, the Bible says, and this word again would indicate that instead of replacing that which was on his wheel, the Bible says instead that this potter instead decided to repair. And what Jeremiah sees down at this potter's house is a potter who recognized that the pottery on his wheel was significantly damaged. And in the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah saying, no, he's not going to throw it away. Notice that he didn't just disregard it, but instead. Instead, this potter decided to keep on working with and repairing the piece of clay that was already in his hands. I want to just come to preach to somebody today to tell you that the same word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah has come to Connection Point Church to tell somebody that God will not take his hand off of you because God is able to redeem those things that other people would have rejected. Come on somebody, the world may reject you, your employer may reject you, your family may reject you, your society may reject you, but we serve a God that is rich in mercy, that is rich in love, and that God says I'm not going to take my hand off of a marred piece of clay. Oh come on somebody, I want to just ask you today, are you thankful for a God that found you when you were down and when you were out and didn't take his hand off of you when you had messed up, when you had fallen short and when you found flaws in your life? We serve a God that's able to redeem us when everyone else would have rejected us. You see, what Jeremiah realizes is that this potter had some experience and that he didn't get his hands dirty for no reason. This potter had some experience working with clay. This wasn't his first rodeo. This wasn't his first flawed project. This wasn't the first piece of clay that had fallen short of his original plan and his original intention. But instead, this was a potter that knew that even though this pot had not ended up the way he would have originally intended, he can still redeem it. He can still keep on working with it. He can still keep on molding it and shaping it. I've just come to preach to somebody today to tell you that when the enemy would try to get you to believe that you are helpless and that you are hopeless, that the condition or the situation 
situation in your life is beyond repair that God says, I've got resources that you don't know about. I'm an experienced God. I'm a God that come to redeem and to save. I can take that which everyone else would reject and I can work it together for the good of those who love the Lord and who are the called according to His purpose. I want to tell you today, you may feel broken in the hands of God. You may feel broken. You may feel rejected and dejected. But I've just come with an with a encouraging word today to tell you that if you'll just keep your life on the potter's wheel, if you'll just keep your life in the hands of God, if you'll just keep your life on the purpose and plan of God, that God is able to continue to redeem you, to deliver you, to work with you. God is not finished with your life. This potter saw this piece of clay. What's fascinating about this is the Bible says in verse 4 that as he noticed that this particular piece of pottery had become marred in his hand, the Bible said instead of casting it aside, instead of rejecting it, that he decided to make it again. And then it goes on to say, as it seemed good to the potter to make. See, what this demonstrates to me is that what God was trying to illustrate to Jeremiah is that God is a God that has skilled and experienced in making things that were seemingly hopeless into things with great potential. And that at the same time while this potter was realizing and recognizing the flaws of this particular piece of clay, at the same time this potter was envisioning the potential of what it could be. I want to tell you today that no, not only will God not let go of you because He's patient, if you'll be persistent, not only... Will God keep His hand upon you because He's able to redeem that which others would have rejected? But I want to just tell somebody today that God will not take His hand off of you because He alone has the unique ability to balance your past with your potential. It was the same prophet Jeremiah that was preaching to the nation of Israel that they were experiencing a time unlike any other time. They were dealing with the spiritual decline of a nation. They were dealing with being exiled out of their home. They were dealing with the realities of the consequences of their sin. They were dealing with the consequences of what had taken place in their life. And they find themselves having been exiled into a land, into a place that they never thought they would be. They found themselves in a season that they never thought they would experience. And it was in this season as they were exiled into to the land of Babylon that they found themselves feeling hopeless and helpless but it was there that God with the same prophet by the, Jer by the name of Jeremiah and Jeremiah chapter 29 tells them that even though you find yourself in an unfavorable situation and even though you find yourself riddled with sickness in your body riddled with spiritual sin riddled with all sorts of conditions in your life that make you feel like your situation is hopeless nevertheless God knows the thoughts that He has for you, says the Lord. And even though you don't see it right now, I know that I've got peace for you. 
I know that I've got thoughts of e- not of evil, but to give you future and a hope. I want to tell you today that God has come to let someone know that his hand is not going to be removed in your life because while you may be facing the realities of your circumstances, God sees the potential that he has for your life. I know the thoughts that I have for you, declares the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and not a hope. And so it was this prophet Jeremiah that God spoke to in the midst of calamity, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of helplessness and hopelessness. And he says, Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the potter's house because there the word of the Lord has come to you to tell you that can I not do with my people what this potter has done with his clay. I want us to stand all over this place. I've preached a simple message today. But I feel the presence of the Lord in this house. You see, God's got his hand on some people in this house today. And you may have strayed far from the presence of God. You may be in this house today and you may like that leper in the book of Matthew that feels rejected, dejected, hopeless, and alone. You may feel like you're a scourge that no one would ever have compassion on you. But we serve a God that has demonstrated time and time and time again that he's willing to get his hands dirty. You may feel like that young man that was being carried through that city, Nain. You may feel like some faith has died in your life, some hope has died in your life, the joy of life has died. (laughs) But Jesus is passing by this morning and he's got compassion in his eyes. And he's stretching forth his hand upon the casket. And he's saying, come back to life. All over this place, can we just bow our heads? I want us to just take a moment right now. I feel God's presence here today. I don't know who this message is for. I don't know who I'm preaching to. I don't know what God is trying to do in your life. I don't know oftentimes the secret things that we wrestle with, that we deal with, but I've just come today to tell you that I feel a word of hope and I feel a word of encouragement today to let somebody know that all all is not hopeless, that all is not lost because His hand will never let go. That if you'll just keep on believing, if you'll keep on trusting, if you'll keep on seeking that God has got mercy, that His love and kindness is new every morning, And that he's willing to bring some life back to some dead and some dying situations. I wonder if there'd be anyone here today that would be willing to come out from where you're standing. Come on, if you would just take a moment. Can we just begin to fill this altar for just a moment? Come on, if if anything, nothing less. Can we just say, Lord, I want to just stay on the potter's wheel today. Lord, I want to just keep my life 
in your hands. Lord, I've come to just simply declare one more time, God, that I'm willing to be persistent. Lord, I'm willing to keep my life in your hands. Lord, I know that while everything may feel broken right now, that while everything may feel like it's a mess right now, my life feels marred. My life feels imperfect. I see Hallelujah. If you're here today, you say, I've heard what you've preached, but you don't know the circumstances I'm dealing with. You don't know the trials and the troubles that I'm facing in my life. If God's hand was truly still, still upon me, you, I wouldn't be dealing with what I'm feeling and what I'm experiencing. You see, I, I never promised, the Word of God has never promised, God never promised that life would be easy. The Bible says that the rain falls upon the just and the unjust. But the promise that we have today is that when God's hand is upon our life, that whatever the circumstances, whatever the situation is, that God can take the brokenness, that God can take the pain, that God can take whatever we're dealing with and He can turn it around for the good of those who love the Lord, who are the called according to His purpose. And sometimes in life, just as that potter would take that piece of clay, when he's gotten it to a place that he's ready, the very next place that that potter will take that clay is to a place where he can heat it up. It's not because he's left it or abandoned it or rejected it, but sometimes God allows us to pass through the fire so that he can perfect us, that he can harden us, so that he can allow us to, to, to have some durability and to some sustainability. I want to tell you today that, that, that you're not going to go through anything that God has not allowed you to. If you keep yourself in the hand of God, he may allow you to pass through the fire. He may allow you to pass through the flame, but I want to tell you it's for your good and it's for his glory if you'll just keep on trusting in God, if you'll just keep on waiting on God, if you'll keep on believing in God, God is going to turn everything around and work all things together for your good. One more time, can we just call upon the name of the Lord today? I was reminded this week that we serve a patient God. And oftentimes, the problem is not that God is not patient with us. So we've lost patience with God. I was reminded that we should never write people off because God has not written people off. I've got a brother that's not in church here today. I called him. I, I texted him yesterday twice. I'm just going to keep on believing. If I'll keep on asking him to church, if I'll keep on, he's never darkened the doors of Connection Point Church, but I'm believing that if he's still on the the potter's wheel, if he's still got breath in his lungs, that God is not done with him, that anything is possible, that God can keep on working in his life. I want to tell you today, you may have some situations, some family members, some loved ones, some children, some grandchildren that may seem so marred that they are beyond repair, but don't you give up on God. Don't you think that God is not able to work something out together for the good. I want to tell you today, if we'll keep on believing and keep on trusting and keep on reaching, God is able to do one more time, can we just lift our hands?